a Highline podcast. No normal people. people. I'm going to talk first because I'm only in half the episode. I'm your host, Dixie Lee Henning. You cut me off. <laughs> I yes. <know. laughs> My friends, welcome to No Normal People. I'm also your host. Man, this is hard doing the yeah, follow-up. Welcome. Bat and cleanup here. Welcome to terror. I'm also your host, Stephen Henning. And this is a show where we Dixie Lee and I prove- to prove that the more you get to know the normal people- in your life, in you, your discover, life, that you there... discover that there really are no normal people. Wow. How many episodes have we done? We did it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're asking because this is episode 64. Oh my God. And I still don't know how to say that. No. No, you do not. Oh my it's gosh. Ridiculous. I could say all 50 of the United States of America which in you've alphabetical done the, order. Which you've done on the show. But I can't say that. Right. So. Dixie, welcome back to the show. You're welcome. I say welcome back because we haven't played the interview that you're only on a quarter of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened is that we started this delightful episode. It's excellent. It's super delightful. With our new friend, And I remember every moment of it, except for the part that I wasn't in. You remember the first quarter of it that you were in. So what happened is that we started the interview with Piper. And then a donkey came into our house and kicked me in the head. That's not exactly true. A metaphysical. But it, felt, it felt like a donkey kicks me in the a, head. <laughs> a metaphysical donkey in the form of an optical migraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set in very rapidly. Very rapidly. I thought I was going to die. And pretty much just incapacitated <laughs> you. So you, dear listener, when you notice that Dixie's just not talking she anymore. She just hasn't said anything for a long time, which is unusual for me. Um, it is, of course, <laughs> not that she was bored by the guest or offended by yep. the guest. Because you're Hated pretty proudly it. unoffendable. Yeah, pretty right? much. Uh, You'd have to do something pretty egregious for me to get upset. Right. And you were vibing with Piper. So, I mean, yeah, I was. everything was going great. It was all vibes. Migraines really take it out of you. Yeah, they do. And this was the second time we had re- like rescheduled with Piper already. So we just decided. Oh, yeah. I just, just finished it up. Just keep going. The other programming note is that I... Because I got to interview someone who is very well versed in theology because mm-hmm. she has like a master's degree in it and stuff. And she's really cool. Yeah. Big theology chat is yeah. coming up. You, you best believe. A, you got a metaphysical theology donkey. Okay. And I got just. Oh, I really. I got a actually me- forgotten metaphysical that. migraine donkey. You got the migraine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Piper on the air. Issues me my formal invite to the process party, uh, which people can learn about what that is. Um, I imagine it has to do with the process. Piper does so many cool things in Tallahassee, getting to connect with people. And she does work for the church, Mm -hmm. but basically her job is to foster community is like the basic, most basicest 
<laughs> job most title basic, she has. Most of the basic. I speak for half a living. Words are okay. hard. Not even half a living. Words I just are hard, speak babe. in it's public okay. a lot. You Sometimes know? you get money for it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. It was just so good. It was so good. Yeah. So. The first time I heard about her was from your face mouth my face and then i think my phone was listening to our conversation as it because, often does because then she popped up on my for you page on tiktok <laughs> tiktok is very good at yeah. that uh so. <laughs> yes yes it, piper is very good at tiktok mm-hmm. too she's also a very True. good twitter follow yeah i would recommend that to everyone pretty excellent man it was just it was awesome so programming notes out of the way yeah. i guess the the announcements for us is that the day this is releasing, August 31st, 2021, is the last day you may use a special promo code on the Highline Network site for 10% off our No Normal People Coffee Blend. Yeah. The code is KNP10SUMMER. KNP, the number one zero, SUMMER, S-U-M-M-E-R. Technically, that would be the numbers. Thank you for correcting me, but that is the code you may use. This is the last day. So hop in there, grab a bag of coffee. It's delicious. Also, you will notice permanently reduced price point, my friends. What? So an extra bonus discount. Absolutely. This is the case. (laughs) I love permanent discounts. If you are listening and you are one of our few very dedicated patrons, hi, mom. You should know that you can stack those discounts. Stack it. Stack that chili. (laughs) Excuse you? (laughs) That's a quote from. One Nick Knight. Stack that chili. Husband oh. of our one of our first guests. Wow, Maria this was guest number Vera, episode Knight. number four. Yeah. Throwback. Stack that chili. That was sixty episodes ago. So many episodes. Wow. I think we just completely missed fifty two. I can't wait Did we, we celebrate that at all? I have sixty nine. No they all kind of hey, hey. <laughs> They all kind of blend together at a certain point. Sure. But no longer. Here we go. Here it is. We are going to get started with some rapid fire questions. These are either or questions, just straight from the gut. No need to think too hard. So, oceans or lakes? Mm, oceans. Change or consistency? Change. City or country? Ooh, city. Sunrise or sunset? Mm, sunset. Laundry or dishes? Laundry. Homebody or free spirit? A little bit of both. Homebody probably mostly. Spender or saver? Spender. (laughs) Do you call it soda or pop? It's changed throughout my life, so lately I think soda. Books or movies? Movies. Introvert or extrovert? That's also changed. I think, naturally, I think I'm an introvert. Finally, can you eat with chopsticks? (laughs) Yes or no? Yes. Nice. That's a brand new question for us. <laughs> I just, I like asking. He, he watched me eat sushi earlier. She ate it so weird, Piper. It was okay, ridiculous. But like, <laughs> it was, it had really a lot of crumbly stuff and I wanted to like scoop it yeah. instead of like pinch it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge me. I'm on a journey. We're in for it. Well, so that was the icebreaker. That's literally like the highest stress part of the show. So now we can finally relax. And now we'll do some just more open-ended icebreaker so we'll start with what's your favorite tv show Ooh, that's hard from childhood probably spongebob <laughs> i love Fantastic. spongebob so much yes yeah and i don't know in adulthood i really like i love breaking bad 
Mm. Oh, wait. Okay. My favorite favorite would be Firefly. Ooh, yes. Good. Excellent. Good that's, one. A, that's a first time. Steven on doesn't know people, what that I think. is. <gasps> you got to. Oh, one perfect season. I have so good. I have learned so many new things by doing this podcast. Like, oh, what's the guy's name? It's the insane. redhead. What's his name? On Firefly? Yeah. Yeah. Alan something, isn't it? Yeah. Something like, you know, exact. It's he's on a Knight's Tale. He's, yes, I love him. He's hilarious. Oh, excellent. Not Paul Bettany, the other one. Right. <laughs> no, I know. I know what you're talking about. Him. Perfect. What is your favorite morning drink? I mean, probably coffee but honestly lately i've been drinking a lot of red bull <laughs> oh, it's good go. for me going or my heart hard. But... extra <laughs> growing hard. wings with three eyes well you have you <laughs> yeah. didn't say an alcohol so like you're not quite to the crazy yet right vodka true, true. red bull for yeah. in the morning just like a, yeah just like two a shots Jager of whiskey yikes yeah Jager bomb that's what it's called yeah there you go there it is what <laughs> is the best gift you've ever received Oh, man. The most memorable for sure was I got a bike. It was a purple mongoose, yeah. like, a, what do you call it? You know, like the outdoorsy ones. What yeah. are those called? Like a mountain bike? Yeah. A purple mongoose mountain bike from Walmart. And I got it like two months after my birthday because my dad had to put it on layaway before he could afford oh. it. Oh, and so wow. it was like a complete surprise. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Very nice. I loved getting presents months after the event. Because yeah. of layaway, <laughs> like my mom thought about it on my birthday, and then she was like, "Ah, oh, crap!" Mm-hmm. Exactly, <laughs> you'll get it in two months. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is a smell that takes you back to a good memory of your childhood? Oh, that's good. Probably, I don't know. There's certain um, food smells, you know, make me think of my um, my granny, like breakfast mm, food, like yeah. bacon and eggs. I think oh, about wow, waking up yes. on the couch at my granny's house because they would wake up at like 5 a.m., you know, and so I would be kind of like half asleep, half awake, Old listening people. to them. Mm. Yeah, granddad watching the news Just or gotta, whatever. Gotta wake up with the sun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's um, Before the sun. Yeah. <laughs> what are foods you will never eat? Mm. Oh, that's easy. I'm vegan, so animal products. <laughs> there you go. Look at that. Unless your granny is making it. Unless it's the vacant. Honestly, <laughs> I went vegan after uh, she passed away, and right. I don't really even know what I would have done if oh. I had gone vegan before then. Yeah. Right. I probably would have made an exception. Like, can I just like for smell her. it? There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? Probably like low rise jeans. <laughs> really tight yes. low rise jeans because it, they're just horribly uncomfortable and every time you sit you have to like worry about if your underwear is showing and yep. mm-hmm. just so uncomfortable and losing the blood flow to your legs <laughs> yes <laughs> my hip bones are cutting off my circulation right it's yeah fine. and you can't fit anything in your pockets no. it's even <laughs> what worse pockets? With those. of course not of course not <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> what is the your tiny tiny back yeah. pocket <laughs> oh yeah put your chapstick in there yeah, that's, that's about it. all you can fit. Right. Then it's too tight. After that, it's like, nope, can't fit in. I barely fit in here with the chapstick. So yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's the tiny pockets, but what is your biggest pet peeve? Um, I hate when people ask, how are you? But they don't wait to listen to you to yes. respond. Wow, they don't yeah. actually wait to hear your response. They like move on to the next <laughs> yeah. person. Yeah. Who would you call your best friend? Hmm. I think probably 
I don't have like one best friend ever since like elementary school. It's like I can't just commit to one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love my husband, of course, one of my best friends, and one of my closest um, best friends. Her name is Emily, and we've known each other since high school, and we were roommates in college. And I love her. Cool. Fantastic. What is your favorite failure? Maybe something that set you up for either future success or like taught you a lesson. Hmm. Let's see. I don't know. That's a good one. Well, one that I'll always remember was not making it to onto the eighth grade basketball team <laughs> that like crushed mm. my soul. Yeah. Mm. Heartbreaking. But then I kind yeah. of, yeah, I kind of then decided to commit more to other things. And so I got into band and was a band nerd instead. <laughs> oh, excellent. What was your instrument? Saxophone. Mm. Saxophone. Very nice. Nice and loud. Dixie was first chair trumpet in our band. Nice. Forever. And I was holding down the uh, percussion. I'm a drummer myself. Very cool. Are you guys high school sweethearts? Yes, we We are. are. Yeah. Oh, I love that. (laughs) We met met and started dating my freshman year of high school, 11 years ago. wow. No, I saw him sing and I was like, dibs. Dibs. Yeah, fair (laughs) enough. I was also very, very much a choir kid. Oh, yeah. Both my sisters. I'm I'm almost resentful to my family for not teaching me to sing, but oh. I got other things going on. Thanks, so. You family. absolutely do. Yes. <laughs> Last icebreaker here. When you were little, what did you tell people you wanted to be when you grew up? Mm. I remember in like second grade or third grade, we had to write a paper on that. What do you want to be when you grew up? And I wanted to be president because I wanted to be rich. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to be the first female wow. president, and my salary is going to be a trillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, um, that's exactly right. how much money they make because they set their own yeah. salary. Yeah. we know that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I thought you know I wanted to be like I thought that was the richest person in the world. <laughs> yeah, now you know it's Oprah. <laughs> yeah, so right, Jeffrey Bezos. Yeah, Jeffrey Bezos. Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> that's what I realized. I said Jeffrey because of that song. Because of Bo Burnham. <laughs> that's absolutely that's been in my head like all day today of course it has been it's a very sticky song all over tiktok too like (laughs) yes guys chill stuck in my head forever that makes a lot of sense well okay so that's the end of the icebreaker piper ramsey sumner thank you so much for being on no normal people with us yes i'm glad to be here thanks for the invite welcome welcome uh there are so many projects that we will talk about today but i kind of want to start from the beginning where we always start on No Normal People and ask, um, will you tell me about uh, where you grew up and what your family was like growing up? Yeah, um, I grew up in Oklahoma and Texas. So mm. my parents are both from Oklahoma. My dad's from a real small town and my mom's from a suburb of Tulsa. So also a small town. And I grew up a pastor's kid in the Church of the Nazarene, which is a small evangelical denomination um, from the Wesleyan tradition, but they came out of the holiness movement of like the kind of turn of the century. And so um, the Holy Spirit is like a big thing. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So I grew up going to church, being in church on every Sunday and Wednesday night and Sunday night and all the church events, all the youth events. And so that was <laughs> very Monday much through Sunday night. Right. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Always something going on at the church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Saturday mornings when yeah. it was our turn to clean. Oh, of course. Of yeah. Yeah. I got two sisters. I'm the middle middle child. Nice. Big sister Megan, little sister Aaron, and um, yeah, we grew up like I mean, you know, preachers' kids, in a small denomination in small churches. So 
we're never wealthy at all. And my mom is a teacher, you know, so it's a teacher and a pastor salary. So still, you know, never that wealthy so or anything. But wow. that's why you yeah. wanted to be the president. You're like, <laughs> I know, you must like, make so much money. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. What was your sense of in your small town and in the, the church community? Um, I guess I gave away the question just now. Like, what was your sense of like the, the community in the area? Was it, it, was it a very tight knit, like everyone knew everyone? Yeah. So one of the towns we lived in was a really, really small town called Medford in northern Oklahoma, almost in Kansas. Mm -hmm. And that was a super small town. But definitely, even as a like early elementary age, I could tell there's very much the it was a tight knit community, all the everybody knew each other. Everybody was like fairly close. Everybody went to the football games. You know, (laughs) football was like it's even bigger in Texas, but it's still really big in Oklahoma. too. Totally. Yeah. And then we moved when I was going into fourth grade, we moved to Denton, Texas, which is outside of the like uh, DFW area. So it's like a suburb of Dallas. So Mm. it's a lot different. It's like suburbia. And so that sense of community wasn't there as much, um, you know, except for in the church. Churches are pretty good at that. Yeah, especially being being a PK yourself. Of course, you probably Mm -hmm. ended up seeing almost every family in the church like incredibly often. Yeah, I was like, and I had a lot of the older folks kind of like adopted my sisters and I because our grandparents were, you know, six hours away. And so it was like having a big extended family. Yeah, everybody knew. Everybody knew us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking of like, like in your story as you grow up and thinking of high school. And I think the funniest way I can ask the question is like, according to like stereotypes of mean girls, (laughs) what kind of person were you in high school? Oh, man. We already mentioned you were a band kid, so probably. (laughs) Yeah, definitely the band nerd. Um, All my friends, we were all kind of nerdy and not popular, you know, like, uh, I don't know. (laughs) I had two of my friends were like number two and number three in our class. So like super smart girls. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, just nerds. And all of us, well, almost all of us were like also not wealthy. Like one of my best friends was the librarian's daughter and they were (laughs) like me like being all the teacher's kids it was like a thing that teacher's kids were like not rich you should start you know because start a podcast about teachers tks (laughs) yeah it's true oh because i went to a private school i don't think i said that part yet so it was a private school so okay yeah that's why everybody was rich (laughs) sure i love this idea of a teacher's kid podcast that that is a stereotype we don't hear very often yeah yeah yeah, TKs and PKs. One. That sounds fun. Yeah. So after you graduate high school, will you tell me about where you went to uh, college for your undergrad? Yeah, um, I went to Southern Nazarene University. So stuck in the in the Nazarene world. Um, it's really small school. I think I think there were maybe like 400, 500 students per class, per like mm. grade or whatever. And so yeah, really small. And they made it almost, it was like a requirement unless you're, your parents lived nearby and you lived at home that you had to be on campus. And so almost everybody lived in the dorms or in the apartments. And so it created, I don't know, it's like summer camp vibes, you know, it's like everybody was like there and also summer camp vibes because we were going to chapel three times a week or twice a week and things like that too. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Especially like when you have the common through line of your friend, Emily through high school and then coming to college with you. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I knew her from um, the Nazarene 
world because she was a Nazarene pastor's kid too. And so we knew each other from like church oh, camp. Fantastic. Yeah. See the church camp vibes all the way through. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. sounds about right. Um, so what was the degree you got for your undergrad at that school? Yeah. I, um, all four years I did an, the ministry in internship. And so it was like this intensive internship that I was working in churches and stuff. And I got my yeah. degree in theology and my minor was biblical languages. So I studied Greek and Hebrew. Oh, mm. fantastic. And then I saw in your Twitter bio that you went and got an MDiv after that. So will you tell me about that experience in that school? Yeah. So a big part of my story and like kind of set my trajectory in this other direction outside of the Church of the Nazarene. Um, I took some classes about like sociology and learning about how the Bible was formed and like Christian history and all these kinds of things. It kind of uh, got me started on kind of like religious deconstruction, you know, is like the phrase that a lot of people use. Oh, yeah. Right. But then I also found, you know, folks like um, like Shane Claiborne and those types of people who were very much interested in like social justice and in you know, what does it really mean to be a Christian and be a follower of Jesus and what does it look like and mm -hmm. into like kind of the political side of things. And uh, by the time I was leaving college, I was vegan, ethical for the animals mm -hmm. and in parts part of my faith and an anarchist because uh, that's part of my faith, too. You know, that I think we should have a say in the way that we get to live our lives. But I think very much it needs to be a communal thing and not like the pure anarchism kind of concept of like, uh, you know, I can do whatever I want, you know, but oh. like I don't need some kind of hierarchical power telling me what to do. We can do this together kind of thing. Community based um, versus mm -hmm. like an incredibly individualistic, like libertarianism. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's kind of like the opposite, like leftist libertarianism. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, by the time I was leaving my undergrad, I was looking for something very different. And so my friends and I, um, some friends from a friend from college and some other people that we knew from Tumblr, actually, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a little community of Christian vegan anarchists on Tumblr. It was like, yes. <laughs> what's that meme from Arrested Development? There are dozens of us. <laughs> there are dozens. <laughs> yeah, with exactly Tobias like as the never nude. There are dozens yeah. of us. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so um, we moved to Denver, and um, part of the reason was to go to Iliff School of Theology, which is a United Methodist seminary mm, yeah. that's um, partnered with Denver University and, like, on the corner of that campus. And so, yeah, that's where I went. I got my MDiv at Iliff, which is very cool. Very, like, I got to so many different professors and different schools of thought, different religions, um, and it really opened up my eyes, and I learned uh, a lot. and. It was good. It was a good place. Right. I cringe at how stereotypical the question is after someone finishes college, but can I ask like what you do for work and if your college degrees inform the work you do today? Yeah, I got really lucky because I'm in Florida and um, we do something in the United Methodist Church called Fresh Expressions of Church. So I get to create communities um spiritual communities for folks outside the church, people who have never been to church, people who have left the church. Mm. And so that's, yeah, that's like you were talking about all these projects I have. That's part of my job. That's what I get to do. And I get to help other people like train folks and churches and communities to 
to do the same, to go out into their communities and to show up and hang out in in the places where they already spend their time and just, you know, sink in a little deeper and create deeper relationships with those around them. Wow. And so, yeah, that's what I get to do. So you are considered like staff of the church denomination or are you answering to like one specific church in Florida? I work for the whole conference. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, the Florida conference. My uh, co-host of Ravel, Emily Reddinghouse, she is a UMC pastor out in Cody, Wyoming. So mm. I have a little bit of interface with United Methodists, like kind of growing up in the area. There's there's a handful of churches here in the Billings area. So that is... There's dozens. Yeah. I'm still learning. Still learning? Yeah. So like, because I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, so I have a general idea of the ins and outs of all of that, but I'm still figuring out more of the history of the UMC and where they are kind of now and what their organization and all that kind of stuff, what it looks like and how it functions and sure. still yeah. figuring it out. Yeah. Because yeah. I guess moving toward uh, the Methodist church, you're kind of making more of a full tilt into Wesleyanism versus like the Nazarene is kind of Wesleyan evangelical. Am I getting those like definitions yeah. right or those lines right? It's funny because, you know, the Nazarenes would say that the Methodists have lost track of Wesley in that they were bringing it back. You know, that kind of, everybody says that though, right? It's like, we got it right. That kind of attitude. (laughs) Yeah, Um, of course. But yeah, still very much rooted in Wesley and, you know, Wesley, he, I mean, I feel like what he was doing was, was like fresh expressions of church. You know, he was Mm. empowering these people, like lay people to go out and to do this like street preaching. And he was going to the people rather than sitting in the church and waiting for them to come to him. Yeah, like the circuit rider network, all that going Mm -hmm. on in his time. And then his brother writing so many fantastic hymns that the church has today. Yeah, and a lot of those were based on like um, pub songs that people were already singing, you know? Yeah, And so it's very much like rooted in the culture and very contextual. That's very good. That's very good. So you're in Florida. Is Tallahassee right? Did I do my Twitter research well enough? Yes. Yeah, I'm in Tallahassee. Fantastic. Was getting the job you have now, was that the like the driving force toward Florida once you left Denver? Um, I well, no, I moved here for because of my husband is from here. So I met Kyle when I, I was in Denver. He was my roommate before he was even my friend. He moved into our apartment. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah. We were friends for a couple months and then dating. And then by that next year, we were engaged and stuff. And Yeah. And so he grew up in a really small town right outside of Tallahassee. Mm -hmm. And we lived there uh, for a couple years and we just moved into Tallahassee proper. So now we're close to things and it's nice. Wow. That's fantastic. My goodness. I feel like I have so much good background on you now, like knowing where you grew up and knowing like the steps you took around the country through your educational process and all that. So thank you Mm -hmm. for that. So we're at like my absolute favorite part of the show where I literally just get to ask, like, what are you, Piper? What are you passionate about? Or what can you think and talk about when you have nothing else to think and talk about? Mm, That's good. I mean, definitely, I'm most inclined to talk about theology because that's what I studied and it's what my husband studied. So it's like basically what I talk about kind of 24-7 at home, too. But I'm really, I'm less so interested in about, like, what people believe and more about why they believe that and how it functions in their lives, how it changes the way that they live and how they treat other people. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And so those are the kind of things that I'm always interested in. And with my job, it very much lines up with that because I just want, you know, my the way that I view my faith and what I believe is like my I really do think that like the gospel, the good news is that you are loved and worthy of love and that you are like a child of God, whatever that means. Mm, And mm -hmm. I get to basically do that all the time and just speak that into people and encourage people to do the same and to just to live their lives in that way of, I don't know, just being present and hearing people's stories and seeing them as, you know, as an equal, as somebody who is like worthy of being listened to and loved and cared for. So, yeah. And you do that through so many different projects that I've been able to discover online. And I also know that some are like very local in your area. You get to like create these fresh places right through your job Mm -hmm. so i kind of want to just take these one by one and you tell me a little bit about what you're doing through all this work that sounds fun to me so let's start i'm just going to kind of go in order that you list them in your twitter bio i want to start talking about the uh, tallahassee brew like theology club when did this start and like what what do you do as a group yeah i started it probably back in like 2017 or 2018 and then kind of took a break and then brought it back around in 2019 and but so pub theology is very much like a thing where people will just meet in pubs and breweries or whatever and have different kinds of conversations about religion philosophy whatever and tally brew theology is actually part of a bigger network of brew theologies that my friends in denver so when i lived in denver i was part of denver brew theology and that was that same thing where it started as a, like a pub group and it grew over time. And nice, nice. The leaders, um, my friends, Janelle and Ryan, they started asking people like, hey, will you will you write a little something about the subject that you're interested in? And then that'll be like our quote unquote curriculum that we can base off of. And it's all about trying. They attempt to be interfaith and that it's all just about uh, meaningful dialogue and like community building and things like that. And so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what I do in Tallahassee. And I've got a good little crew of a couple people that. um you know, it's kind of growing a little bit. And we, we got, we're finally back in person, which is so great. I'm oh, really hopeful yeah. about that. The atmosphere completely changes when you have to go yes, definitely. Like, remote. Wild. Yeah, it was weird on Zoom. But yeah, we've been... Um, Tallahassee probably has like five or six breweries and or things like breweries. And so we hop around to those and just kind of tour around town every every other week. Yeah. And have these conversations. Oh, absolutely. Random subjects. I am tangentially, I guess, uh, familiar with uh, movements like pub theology, listening to like Trip Fuller's um, homebrew Christianity, mm-hmm. right? I know you guys are uh, in the process party. I wanted to ask you about process party um, eventually, but mm. maybe we'll talk about your other, your other projects and come back to that. Yeah. Our mutual friend, Josh Lou Allen. Mm-hmm. who's going to be appearing on your podcast. He used to host something very similar here in Billings, Montana. He called it um, beer philosophy, And we would meet at yeah. like tap houses and stuff and talk philosophy or just like a central question about politics or social life, something like that. And it was so oh, th- that that experience of just like bonding over a drink and just sitting in a public place and just being able to like talk about what matters to us is so cool. I love mm-hmm. that you, you're creating that space. Um, in your community. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. It's cool. It's my favorite. Let's talk about, let's next talk about your theology book club. 
Yeah, so that kind of sprung out of the Tally Brew theology because some of our folks were like, we should start a book club. We have like, sometimes we want to dive in deeper to these different subjects. And mm-hmm. so it's been all Zoom-based so far. Yeah, we just meet once a month with a new book and we've done everything from, you know, fiction to, you know, some like big, deeper, more difficult kind of theologies to like history and like sociology and things like that mm-hmm. and it's been i mean i love it because it motivates me to read <laughs> which is great because if not i probably would never read is the goal that it's a new book every month and that every time you meet you have finished a new book so that you can talk about like the whole arc of the book or is it more like chapter by chapter i guess that would be a really long time to read a book yeah so, sometimes uh... if they're longer we like split it between two months i actually don't know if it's the best way to do a book club, but that's how I've been. We've been doing it. It's just right. meeting once a month to talk about one book. It's worked pretty well. That's neat. Um, what kind of books are you guys reading now, or have you finished recently? So, um, for Pride Month, we read a book by Lynn Marie Tonstead. Um, she has a book called Queer Theology, mm-hmm. and it's kind of an introduction to to queer thought and to queer theory and theology. They talk about, and the first part is about all the popular kind of apologetics that's used, like using the Bible and things like that to kind of like justify why Christians should care and include queer people in their theology. And then the second half is diving into and defining kind of these different ideas in queer theory and then talking about queer theology. So kind of Mm. like wrapping it up is really good. Uh, It was a great book. And then this coming month, we're reading The Making of Biblical Womanhood. How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth by Beth Allison Barr. And that one is, um, it's a more of like a historical dive into, first into the Bible and women in the Bible and the culture and historical context. And mm. then she goes into, I haven't read it yet, but she goes into the, you know, the, how, the way that evangelicalism has kind of created this idea of what a biblical woman looks like and what like a good Christian woman is. Mm. And it's obviously very much rooted in patriarchy and sexism and heterosexism. And so, yeah, that one's going to be more like a historical deep dive. Right. I got chills when you read the subtitle of that one. Even the subtitle packs a punch. That sounds so good. Wow. Mm -hmm. Next project I'm so excited about because you just released your first episode of your podcast on the 6th of July called Pastor's Kid. So tell me about this project and where the idea came for that. I know you grew up as a pastor's kid, so of course that's your through line, but I want to hear all about the the project and the idea. Yeah. For like years and years, like maybe like maybe like six years or more, I've had this idea of doing a podcast or something where I interview pastor's kids just to hear their stories and talk about all of our kind of maybe shared experiences and stuff like that. And so I finally got the courage to do it and started recording. Um, And really, it was just because I knew myself that I have a story to tell. And um, telling my story is also something that that has helped me work through, you know, my own experiences and the experiences of growing up very conservative theologically and socially and all these other things Mm, um mm -hmm. and being able to just get it out there i don't know is something that and it feels empowering you know and so i've been able to kind of create that with other people with other people who also grew up 
in similar situations to me and yeah. giving them the space to tell their stories and to share really silly, funny things that happened and that are just, you know, so like odd when you look back and all of the really unique stuff that like only a pastor's kid would get. Totally. Totally. Yeah. There's like a, there's like a secret language between uh, like among you all because you have that common experience. Yeah. And it feels like everybody kind of has an idea, you know, like I very much grew up being aware of the stereotypes that pastor's kids were either. Yes. Either really sheltered and like little angels and didn't know anything about the quote real world uh, or they were the opposite and they wanted to be rebels and they wanted to, you know, go out into the world and resist everything their parents had taught them and mm -hmm. things like that. And I always tried to, you know, I pushed against both of those kind of identities growing up. Yeah. And so I wanted to show that, hey, there's all different kinds of pastor's <laughs> kids and we're right, actually yeah. a lot Look at way more similar to you than you think, you know. Um, I both laughed and also had a sense of like, oh my gosh, what a, what a wild place to be when you and your sister on episode one, we're talking about role-playing Columbine in almost like a <laughs> fantastical, like almost like a fantasy. Yes. I, wow. The nineties were weird, man. Well, that was actually more like early two thousands, but yeah, it was like, I know I grew up with this kind of like feeling or sense that like I was, I needed to be ready to be like persecuted or martyred. at any time. Yeah. yeah like I need, I need to be willing to be a martyr for Jesus. Wow. Uh, even though I was a pastor's kid and I went to a private Christian school. And so I literally everybody I knew was Christian, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Basically everybody I knew. And so, I mean, that, that was great. Like this summer camp we went to, they had this game that they would play. They called it pig and bass because they had this plastic pig and this plastic bass. And it was basically like this like entire camp wide uh, game of capture the flag. Right. And so it was all dark and you had flashlights and things like that. And I just remember one year for whatever reason, they made it like this really weird extra level of like, you have to convert the, the counselors are going to walk around role playing and you have to like convert them. And there are other people that will like get you out. Whoa, what? Yeah, yeah. So that like you had, they would pretend to either be other students or pretend to be teachers, and you had to present the gospel to them. And if it wasn't convincing enough, they would send you to the tennis courts, which was a detention. And that's where there was another counselor who was oh reading out passages from the Jesus Freak book about martyrs. And oh, so, the DC Talk book. Yes, of course, this yeah. book. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. So I got these stories about like children like dying in foreign countries like cemented into my head from childhood because of that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So stories just like that, I'm sure, are going to come out on the Pastor's Kid podcast. People should definitely go subscribe to that. Uh, my friend Josh is going to be on there in short order, and I'm very excited for it. Yes, that was a good one. I'm excited, too. The newest project on your Twitter bio is a Discord community called Unchurch. So will you talk to me about this thing? Yeah. So in the last year, I, like many people, have gotten on TikTok. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, some another a clergy person was telling me about how they used it. And they're like, you should get on there. Because I talked about how I was starting to like just watch videos. And um, there's kind of this community of progressive clergy who are on TikTok who talk about the Bible and talk about, I mean, honestly, most of it is for a lot of people, a lot of the big, bigger pages is just telling 
queer people that they are loved and that Christian love extends to them and apologizing for the hate that they get yeah. from uh, more conservatives and things like that. And so I joined there and, and um, started uh, using the like label exvangelical and deconstructing Christianity and things like that. And there's a big, there's like, I mean, so that's what I'm getting at is that there's this huge community of people who are in that process. And I think, honestly, I think because of Trump, a lot of people kind of, it was an eye-opening experience because that mm. was like a line that a lot of people were drawing and they saw their loved ones, they saw their churches, they saw leaders that they thought were good people, like choosing Trump over you know, their ethics and things like that. And so a lot of people that kind of got them going on this deconstruction journey. Um, And so I was like, there's so many people and there's a lot of people who are isolated, like literally where they're at, they don't have, you know, they might be uncomfortable being able to even leave church or can't really talk about it with their family or whatever it is, Mm. or live in small towns and those kinds of things. And I was like, well, they're finding community on TikTok, but TikTok isn't, super conducive for conversations with like a lot of people and so i was like maybe i i'm gonna try something on online and discord is like this new up-and-coming like space uh app that started for just gamers but it has a really good you can have different channels that can have different subjects and so you can have multiple conversations all going at the same time and so we've got we I've set it up. We my my friends and I have helped me. I got some friends from Denver and some friends from TikTok who live all over um, that are helping me create this community. And um, yeah, we call it Unchurch. So uh, it's been fun. I mean, it, it's just kind of just getting started. You know, I got the logo ready, and um, we're hoping to eventually do things like host some nights in the like voice channels so we can actually talk with people and stuff. But yeah, so I've already got like maybe like 40 people. So it's, it's growing. It's wow. Cool. Yeah. That's so cool. I've, I've found so many cool communities through discord. I mean, like that's, that's even where you and I are recording this podcast through is like this effective tool that you can have a voice room, you can hang out, you can turn video chat on. It's like, to me, discord is like what the best zoom has to offer and Facebook groups without having to be mm-hmm. on Facebook or mm-hmm. be sick of zoom. Yeah, that the balance between like video voice and just the chat options are so good. And we've found like for our, our little Patreon group for our uh, our Ravel team, like we've had so many fantastic discussions inside here. So I like that you guys are leveraging a tool like this and just inviting people in. Um, by the way, I do. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the logo. I like what you did with the the U and the N in Unchurch. Fantastic. Yeah, credit goes to my husband, Kyle. He's a graphic designer. Oh, good work. Very aesthetic, very pleasing. I like it. We're going to take a quick break and be right back to our conversation. This episode of No Normal People is brought to you by the No Normal People Coffee Blend in partnership with Revel Coffee in Billings, Montana. This bright and complex coffee will come fresh roasted to your door for you to enjoy the delicious symphony of citrus, berry, spice, and chocolate notes. Visit highline.network shop to enjoy a cup of coffee as normal as our podcast guests. No Normal People is supported by our generous patrons who joined us at patreon.com slash nopeoplepod. 
You too can join the Normal People community to gain access to our private Discord, merch store discounts, and monthly bonus episodes. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you find this podcast valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person with a text or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at NoPeoplePod. And be sure to visit our page at Highline.network, where you can sign up for our email newsletter called The Three Thought Thing. No Normal People is a proud founding member of the Highline Media Network. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, Ravel. I'm not going to believe you if you tell me that that was just spirit-led. But here's the thing is, I don't think it's bad. It's serving a purpose. Mm. Just don't lie to me about it. Because, like, here's the deal. Like, the funny part about, like, running the production at a Bible camp, something that, like, I disagree on probably most of the foundational levels of what they're teaching, I'm like, there's still good here to be done. Hmm. What Whatever my own religious views are, there's kids who need to talk about stuff and they need community. And we can do that. And you don't have a monopoly on that as a Christian camp. And it's unfortunate that we don't really have a secular, uh, you know, alternative to it. So whether or not, like, whatever the heck I think, you know, apologetically and theologically, like, I can still do good here. Let's get back to our conversation. Do you identify at all with the word deconstruction yeah um yeah i think i do deconstructed i mean um i've come back around to the christian label Mm -hmm. in the last couple years but yeah i mean i kind of mentioned it earlier like i think when i started studying the bible at like a collegiate level you know i was able to study it in its original languages and learn about the complexities behind how you know, how the actual work of like translating, how, how that works and um, the history and the formation of the Bible and the context and all these different things that because the big thing, like I didn't grow up in a church that quite believed in biblical inerrancy or biblical literalism, but it was very close, mm. like just nearly there. OK, yeah. And so that was a big part that kind of got me started on this like deconstruction and then a, another big part was just taking some classes about like culture and sociology and stuff. And I was like, oh, so culture shapes like literally everything, everything about us. So how can I pretend wow. like this culture yeah. that I grew up in just happens to be the best, most correct one, you know? Totally. And yeah. so, yeah. And so there's a lot of these, a lot of the ways that belief functions in the conservative Christian circles that just doesn't coincide with how other people live like with reality honestly and so it kind of got me started in like my college years maybe even like the end of high school and then by the time I was kind of leaving seminary I was kind of probably because of um the kind of rise of the Christian right that has been even more prevalent in our in our like kind of public spheres in these last couple years and so and I think like it took a long time to kind of for me to let go, you know, we talked, you, you 
asked about the process party, which we can get to, but it, yes. I think yeah. part of that was letting go of the traditional kind of view of God that I had because it didn't, um, there was too many conflicts with like philosophically and theologically for me to believe in the traditional God and that process of moving over to the God of process theology that I believe in. Um, mm -hmm. That was kind of, it was hard. And I think maybe probably there's probably some like trauma there, you know, well, honestly, there was some trauma in believing in the traditional God. And so I think it was kind of getting rid of that. And I feel like I'm still in this journey of kind of falling back in love with God, I guess. Wow. Yeah. I love the way you put that. Do you remember the first theology that just kind of made you tilt your head a little bit and like, wait, really? Like for me, I was I was following along with the the Bad Christian podcast in their early days pretty closely because I was a big fan of Emery growing up. And mm -hmm. Joey Svensson on that show started talking to people and having conversations all the time on Bad Christian about even the idea of like conditional immortality of hell versus eternal conscious torment. So like for me, mm -hmm. like thinking about the question of hell and whether it was ECT or um, annihilationism or what I eventually discovered like as like Christian universalism was very much something for me. Like that was, that was the thing that I like, I, I feel like I can track all the way through the different, like the different like pockets or drawers of theology. I can just, I can watch those dominoes tick all the way down once hell got knocked over for me. Do you remember where it, like mm. it really started for you where the fuse lit? Yeah. Hmm. That's good. I mean, okay, yeah, I can. <laughs> I was going to think about it. But yeah, I think. Love it. I think it was my Old Testament professor, Marty Michelson. He, Old Testament theology, uh, it's all about justice. Mm. I mean, that's what all these exiles and all of these like different things that, you know, the Israelites went through was partially because they lost track of what God was calling them to, yeah. which, you know, part of it was worship me alone, but then it was also, you're not caring for your people. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. You need to care for the widow and orphan, which is like, you know, the popular phrase because it's there in scripture like over and over again. And yeah. all yeah. of the minor prophets, basically all of them were about that. And um, there's a book by one of the most famous Old Testament theologians, Walter Brueggemann, Mm -hmm. called the prophetic imagination and that's a you should read it it's a very good book if you haven't but he um he argues that like prophecy because i growing up i thought prophecy was telling the future that like you guys need to do this because this is gonna oh, happen yes yeah like crystal ball reading or something you know like yeah seeing yeah the exactly future. right yeah when in reality, it is prophets are seeing potential futures and they um, they see injustice and they see the direction that it will go if we continue down this path. And so a lot of what the prophets do, like Joshua and then, like I said, the minor prophets, Amos, Micah, those stories, they were calling to their people and telling them, we have to imagine a better future. We have to imagine a more just, a more loving future, the future that God is calling us towards. Wow. And if we don't, wow. we are going to go down this other path towards destruction, you know? And then sometimes that does happen in the Israel. They like lose sight of what God is calling them towards, you know? But, but that's the other thing about God is that God, that call never stops. That call is always there. And 
that, you know, the open hand that's reaching out is always there ready for you to grasp mm. whenever you whenever you do. You yeah, know? right. Yeah. And so for me, that's where my concern for justice and um, and what I really it, that justice shaped very much my idea of Christian love, you know, um, that love is love and justice are to me synonymous, you know. And yeah, that that definitely kind of got me going. <laughs> that was where it all theologically started pushing me um, and got me kind of to where I am today. Wow, that's so good. I want to uh, focus in on the the phrase you gave me of the prophets recognizing and calling out to the people with potential futures. Mm-hmm. So, like, I I just recently finished reading a book by Greg Boyd called God of the Possible, where he kind of lays out the basic tenets of like open theist theology versus something like predeterminism. And I know open theism is related to process theology, but honestly, I'm pretty woefully undereducated on what process theology is and the process party. So this is your open door to tell me about what process theology represents and what I should know about it. Yeah. Well, first of all, the process party is really just anywhere that process theology or process thought is happening will be like oh my god there it is hashtag process party and that's basically that's no, okay. that's the process nice, party nice yeah so um here i was thinking it was like an actual event somehow on the internet yeah. or like hanging out with well, Trip fuller in scotland or whatever yeah he does uh trip he does host what he calls process parties every once in a while <laughs> where he'll bring in somebody so of it is course kind of, that okay is kind so of that's where that came from and those are zoom parties and everybody is invited that's also a process party, but um, so good. Uh, yeah, that's very spend? meta. I like that. That's also a process party that everyone is invited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, so process theology. I mean, it all started with a mathematician named Alfred North Whitehead, and mm. he had this kind of understanding that like there is no really like any you can't really ever have like an accurate like precise reading of anything of anything that exists because everything is in this constant motion of experience uh you know so like when was the exact moment that you stepped outside of your front door this morning because if you try to like pause at a moment that it's really impossible to pause in a moment because you never did there is no pause. You just kept going and, you know, you can zoom in and zoom oh, in wow. and zoom in, yeah. but you'll, you're all, there's always still something. And so that was kind of part of it was that every, there's nothing that, that is, and there's no being, but it's a becoming. Everything is constantly becoming, um, you know, just like, you know, the table that is in front of me, it's not a constant. Every time that I touch it, every time that dust falls on it, um, you know, the air that touches it, it's changing it. So everything in this is in this constant state of change or, you know, process. And similarly, that means that everything is also in a constant state of relationship. So all the way down to the little like quarks and atoms or whatever that, you know, that make us, they're all bouncing off of each other all the time. Um, and then all the way out to these big, big systems of the universe is moving and constantly in motion with in itself, you know. So that's another aspect of it. And and then there's also this idea that everything is experiencing. Pan experientialism is the word. Everything is experiencing each other at all times. Mm. It's yeah, it's all very complicated. But I mean, if you like ever want to nerd out and 
uh, watch some videos about like quantum physics, you can see that, you know, there's this like, uh, the double slit experiment, um, where they like shoot a bunch of little like atoms through, through this like sheet that has little holes in it. And when it's not being observed, like literally with like human eyeballs on it, it will land a certain way. But if you do look at it, it will like, and if when it's being observed, they like change the way they behave. Mm. And I still don't comprehend it, and I might not have explained it right. But anyway, so yeah, like, like I feel like quantum phys- physicists would be like, yeah, process theology makes sense. You know, everything is in this constant state of motion and moving in relationship. Yeah. And so the way that that goes then into theology, the question is, so where is God in all of this? And one of the biggest things with process theology is. Um, you know, the omnis of God, omniscient, meaning all knowing, mm-hmm. omnipotent, meaning all powerful, omnipresent, present everywhere, mm-hmm. and omni, omnibenevolence, all loving. And with process theology, the all powerful omnipotence of, of God is not the way that we, uh, it is traditionally seen, because it's traditionally seen as a coercive power that God is making things happen. God sends storms. God decides to heal this person. Wow. Those kinds of things. Sure, almost um, like a, almost like a, like a Roman god of like Zeus or something. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you see that very much in like Calvinism and oh kind yeah, because I guess theologies. predeterminism would be essentially claiming the same thing. Like God literally caused this to happen because it was predestined. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And so then we hear people like John Piper say things like. If women and children die, it's, it, I see that as good and holy because God did it. You know, that kind of thing. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, and, but there's, so, there's and something, that, those... Sorry. My, I have an aside here, I guess, because like there's something I can hear someone say that. And like, I, I really, uh, my, my instinct, I guess, is try to give someone the benefit of the doubt and like, and like, I used to be really angry with language like that. And I guess mm-hmm. the sound I just made when you, when you said that was more like, oh, that just feels so sad to me that you, that like, that's the world you live in. You know, it's, yeah. I guess, man, it's going to sound super hubristic of me to say like, I guess I kind of pity that attitude now, you know? Yeah. I just hear that and I'm like, oh well, man, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Somebody taught you God was like that. Yeah, I'm sorry you believe that about God. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's inter- It's so funny because there's a like a story about John Wesley, like near the end of his life. He used to, he was like an Arminian and he, so he believed very much in free will. And he would argue with Calvinists all the time who were mm. like, you know, all about predestination and things like that. Yeah. And near the end of his life, he said, I'm, I'm done with, with debating with Calvinists because they don't even believe what they're saying, or at least that they might say they believe it, but they don't live it out. They, they don't still act, send Yeah, they don't act like they're predetermined, right? Yes, exactly. Wow. They, yeah. Yeah. So I say, you know, you can say you believe it, but I don't think you do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, because our actions very much betray, like, what is actually happening inside us, either in our mind or in our heart. You know, like, mm-hmm. a theology not lived out isn't really a theology in my mind. Mm-hmm. I guess that's that's the way I've been thinking about it lately. It's like, man, you can you can mentally assent to so many things without actually acting as if the world actually like behaves that way. And mm-hmm. man, like that that really reveals what your belief is. Like belief just isn't in your mind now. We have to like look at our action, which I I guess is like very much 
like the main thing Jesus was saying to the Pharisees was like, yeah, you got all these laws that you're following, but like, what does that actually, like, how is that transforming the way you love the people next to you? Like, Mm -hmm. instead of praying that like, God, thank you. I'm not like this sinner over here on the street. Why don't you go and give that sinner a hug and like give him a meal or something? Mm-hmm. Act out what you're grateful for and act out what you feel called to share. Sorry, that was yeah. a little soapbox of mine and I derailed no, us great. from process theology, but like it gets me fired up too. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we're back to John Piper saying it's good and holy that women and children die because God made yeah. it that way. Right. And so a big thing that a lot of like this something that those different the omnis of god that that brings up Mm -hmm. is the problem of evil or like the epicurean paradox of if god is all loving Mm, uh yeah and all powerful then why is there evil in the world yeah why do we suffer yeah and and so then god is either not all powerful or not all loving is kind of the argument Mm -hmm. or not all knowing then maybe god doesn't know oh my gosh one of those oh my gosh okay so yeah. if I might predict, basically where we're headed is that process theology would say that God is not actually all powerful because he is in process with the creation he made, mm-hmm. right? So yes. if, if God yes. is actually in process with the thing he made, he doesn't have the power over it. Okay, so I'm seeing where that connects also with open theism. Like God is not here to craft a single future that he already knows, but he's here mm-hmm. possibly... I don't know where process theology as a group is at with like God's intervention in the world, but God is also in process with the world heading toward a possible future and the possible future that God implants in the world through Christ and through the church is let's head toward like new creation dynamics of new heaven, new earth, where there is justice, Mm -hmm. where there is all love, where there is flourishing. Yes. Yes. You're on track. Whoa. That felt like a huge epiphany you just gave me, Piper. That (laughs) what a gift you gave me today. Thank you. Yes. Welcome to the process party. I'm in the process party now. I'm so (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, it's great. Um, yeah, so like so yeah, you were talking like God is this thing that draws us and the the word is like uh that I hear a lot is lure. God is like a lure that is Mm. constantly there in every moment drawing us towards what is most loving and most good and most just and most beautiful. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And that God and that, that, that thing, you know, another word would be like love, like God is love. God is, and it's happening. God is, um is active in every single moment of becoming in it for every thing, for everything that exists. So God is, there when our little atoms are splitting you know and god is with you know with me and luring me in moments and like god is the thing that is constantly drawing all of creation towards what is more beautiful and loving and good towards that uh another word initial aim this aim that god is always drawing us towards Mm. is that initial aim uh is that a way of theologizing about how like the metaphysical vision of what the garden of Eden is, is like the initial aim. And Mm. like, and like when we stray from that paradise, then we, then we have a world with suffering and with war and with genocide and, you know, with evil. But like, if we, if we return to the initial aim, am I thinking of that correctly? I'm just kind of like processing these words, (laughs) process party processing. Anyway, 
Um, yeah, maybe so. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it was like, well, because so here's the other thing is that there's no real going back. You know, it's it's the openness of the future. There is only the future ahead of us. Right. We only, or Well, really, yeah. all we have is this moment. Yeah. And the future is something that we create, that we move towards. Mm-hmm. But in every, you know, in every moment, God is there. Like I was talking about with the prophets, you know, um, we might decide not to respond. Creation has a choice to respond to this this call, this lure that God is constantly pulling us towards. And we have a choice. And of course, it's not like we have this infinite amount of choices in front of us. You know, there are limitations. Like, I can't just go and you know, do a Simone Biles gymnastic routine if I want to do. Like, I don't have that that kind of level of, like, agency, you know. Yeah, But right. I have this, I have all of these possibilities, you know, that I could respond to. And there's one that, you know, maybe a one or two or a cluster that God is pulling me towards. And even if I choose the opposite in a moment, there's wow. another set of choices that god is always and it's not like so solid that there's here all these solid lines between like all these different choices but god is that thing that draws us towards wow you know love and goodness and so you can this is where spirituality kind of came back to me you know like thinking about like okay prayer i don't really ever like i've honestly seen too many and heard too many stories of prayers not being answered people being sick and dying even if they were so so faithful you know or People just can't, you know, people that just can't seem to like catch a break or, you know, people's like longing for justice and people who faced oppression and all of those things. And then it can become, you know, really like disheartening. And when you have that traditional view that like God is almost like choosing, you know, who to who, which prayers to answer, you know, like uh, I think about Bruce Almighty and that scene where he's like, I'm in, I have all these prayers coming in my head. I'm going to organize them onto this, like, uh, this computer, you know? And then he's like, he's getting like ding, 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 like prayers constantly coming in. And I don't think, you know, God's not sitting there picking and choosing, but I think that maybe prayer, I don't know. There's, I'm sure that process theologians could have lots of theories about those kinds of things. But I think for me, spirituality, prayer, uh, meditation, those things are about tuning myself into hearing that that call from god and listening you know to love like wow first john in god is love and anybody who is who loves knows god that kind of idea or is in god wow so when we engage in something like prayer that is something that i've recently been grappling with after learning a lot more about like open theism in that if we believe that the future is full of open possibilities and not determined to be one like solid outcome, then our prayers do matter, you know, like growing up in Mm -hmm. a, in a kind of like very reformed, we weren't, I guess we were Calvinist, but it was like a non-denominational Bible church that was like, I call them closeted Baptists. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I kind of grew up in that, in that vein. And I think pretty early on in my life, like I kind of just gave up prayer because you know, being convinced of all the omnis, I was like, why do we pray if God already knows? What's the Mm -hmm. process of me making a request or me making like, uh, even just like lamenting before God in prayer? Like, what's the point if God just knows what's going to happen in 10 minutes, 10 hours, Mm -hmm. 10 years? But learning about open theism has kind of like unlocked a curiosity and prayer for me again. And it's kind of what you're describing. Like now it's, 
it, maybe it's still less of like I'm going to make specific requests that I hope that the like the captain of the universe ship will like start steering everything that way so that I get what I want. But it's more let me just like enter into the flow of what God through the universe is like communicating and like drawing us toward. Wow. Mm-hmm. And what a, yeah. I love this language of God being the thing that's drawing us towards something. Because I also think I grew up with kind of a understanding of metaphysics of God being God, like being behind us and the thing that pushed us towards something. Mm. And it, that feels so much different. That feels so much different to me that God is the thing that's drawing mm-hmm. us toward a future that, that is uh, more holy or more um, equitable, more for the flourishing of humanity, like drawing us toward that instead of pushing yeah. us toward that. And wow. because God is, is ahead and God is luring us in that kind of way, God's judgment is not something that comes down on us because in, in the next moment, mm. we, God is drawing us again. And so the only judgment of God is in that moment of mourning when you, choo- when you might not choose what is most loving and good and creative. But in that exact next moment, God is there again, drawing you. Right. And, wow. you know, and I think that um, that is so like beautiful to me, too. And I see that so much reflected, I don't know, in like the words of Jesus, like he was just constantly telling people like, you know, like Zacchaeus, like, hey, Zacchaeus, like, come on. And it was come over and I'm going to have dinner at your house. You know, his he, he there was really no judgment. Oh, yeah. It was just a call, you know. That's so good. And man, I can't get the, the mental image of the prodigal son coming home and the father leaving the porch and like running to him to give him a hug, you know, like meeting mm-hmm. him on the road. Yes. I love that. And then throwing a party for his young son arriving. That was the original process party. I think is how I want to say yeah. that now. The original <laughs> the process, process party. party. Yeah. Is, yes. is the robe and the ring and the fatted calf slaughtered for the prodigal son. Yeah. <laughs> But and here's the thing, that prodigal son might choose to leave again, might choose to go off, walk off that path or whatever wow. it is. Yeah, absolutely. But his father's always there. You and, know? and it also reveals because Jesus, Jesus pretty heavily, like with a heavy hand, Jesus was indicating that the father in that story represents God relating to like his children in the church and like in human beings. Right. Mm-hmm. And the thing now that's like clicking with me, I'm just full of epiphanies today. So thank you for kicking all these off for me. Um, yeah. But the thing that the story reveals is like the father probably knew that things were not going well for the prodigal son when he was like wallowing with the pigs and trying to eat the pigs food because he was so hungry. The father probably mm-hmm. knew that things weren't going well, but he didn't know exactly like he wasn't omniscient in that moment. And he was just there like, desiring to see his son on the horizon every morning mm-hmm. and willing to like sprint out and meet him. My goodness. So yeah. I think we could probably talk about this forever if you gave me permission to do that, but I'm mindful of the fact that we're nearing the end of our time that we had allotted here. So back to, <laughs> back to no normal people kind of questions. I want to okay. ask what are, so like you, you obviously spend a lot of time in a deep interior life of like both in your mind and in your heart, working through theology, thinking about philosophy and all that. What kind of Mm -hmm. things does Piper do for fun? Like what are your hobbies? Um, like what do you, I don't know. What do you spend time with when your brain is kind of working on these 
problems. Yeah. Well, I recently got back into running. So I was like in cross country in high school and stuff and wasn't like good at it or anything. But then I got back into it in college. And then just this last year, I've gotten back into that. And I love running. I think it's just um, feels good. Like your body, it feels good. And it feels like such an accomplishment when you're done. And it feels like having a superpower. Like I could go run six miles straight right now if I wanted to, you know, just as like a good feeling. Right. Um, Yeah. There's a sense of pride in like, yeah, I could do that if I wanted to. Yeah. And I kind of nerd out a bit, you know, reading about like getting into all the forums and all the different like, I don't know, running culture kind of type things. And I really enjoy that. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I love outdoorsy stuff. North Florida might not sound like it, but it's actually a really, really beautiful place. It's (laughs) it's the most hilly. um, It's the mountainous area of Florida, which is not, you know, very mountainous at all. I laugh when people say that that Tallahassee is hilly but um we've got these huge pine forests every in every direction mm, yeah. and we've got swamps with like cypress trees and these cool like um palm kind of plants it's like this weird like I've never lived in a place like this I just think it's so beautiful you know and then like an hour away I've got the beach so I've got all this beautiful outdoor yes. outdoor stuff that I can do and so I like to hike and I like to rock climb, even though I'm really out of shape and haven't done it in a long time. Mm-hmm. That's something that is really fun for me, too. I like to do crafts and, oh, and um, music. I love, I grew up, you know, one thing that a lot of pastor's kids, especially, like, the more evangelical, where there's, like, a praise band kind of churches. Um, yeah. And if you're in a small enough church, you get recruited into the praise band when oh. you're, like, 13. Yeah, so. I was all, about, I was playing drums at church at 12. Yep. Yes, exactly. I was playing. I played. That was the first thing I did was uh, bass guitar at church. But I also did um, piano lessons. And so I played keyboard at church eventually, too. Oh, excellent. Um, so love making music. and. Wow. Fantastic. I love it. Do you like to follow any particular morning or evening routines? Oh, yeah, that question. I don't. Uh, not really. I probably should. I'm just now getting into a good nighttime skincare routine. I got to keep my youthful glow. I'm at that like age where I got to start putting on retinol at night so I can keep the wrinkles mm, away and sure. things like that. Yeah. So I'm trying to get into it. And um, but yeah, I don't I've always struggled with like having some kind of routine, you know, and I get inspired sometimes, you know, reading about how like, you know, this is how billionaires do it or this is how the world's most successful people spend their time you know that kind of thing in full disclosure the question is is pretty heavily inspired by like the tim ferris show where he gets he asks people that all the time yeah i identify as an enneagram one so the question always fascinates me that's why i keep it in the Mm -hmm. show but i think it's a perfectly acceptable and like it's perfectly acceptable and i would probably honestly encourage it like if you don't have a routine, like maybe that's just not the way your personality works or your body is built, you know, like that's totally yeah. the way you do your life is the way you do your life. And that's, that's basically what no normal people is, is like, this is what a normal day for Piper looks like. And we could all mm-hmm. benefit by learning that. And also just normalizing conversations like this, where we get to know each other and talk about what we're passionate about. Cause I think that does a lot of work, especially in our kind of like polarized time to like rehumanize you know like we always hear like let's humanize our ideological other 
if we humanize them, like we find more common ground than we think we really have, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ooh, for sure. I love it. So um, some closing questions for you after my little diatribe there. Closing questions. What are you currently reading? I think you mentioned the biblical womanhood book as part of your book club, but are you in the middle of reading yes. anything else right now? Um, I'm about to start a book by Mark Fisher called Capitalist Realism. The premise is most people in, especially in America, are more likely to believe that there could be an end of the world than an end of capitalism. And that, um, so it dives into Whoa. kind of how capitalism has very much trapped us in every aspect of our lives and even in our minds and in the way that we think of ourselves and understand the world you know like think about trying to understand the world outside of like money as we use it or outside of like work and our mm. labor uh being worth this or that and sure. yeah and so that book is like a real short good good read that kind of like dives into that and uh, it goes beyond, you know, just critiquing capitalism or like, you know, like the basics of like Marxism or anything, but it kind of, it goes deeper into the philosophical stuff that's kind of happening in the, on the underside of it that mm. we aren't as aware of, but that we're all kind of trapped by. Wow. Very good. So, yeah. Very good. What are you currently listening to? Let's start with podcasts. What are podcasts you're into right now? Mm. So podcasts are kind of like my comfort thing to kind of like turn off my brain. And so yeah. I like I like the Office Ladies podcast. They're like, yes, um, thank you know that you. One? I love them. That What a delightful yes. show. Yeah, that one's great. It's a good one. And I think it's probably like a comfort show for a lot of people, you know. Wow. Yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah. Yeah. I really love um, Last Podcast on the Left. Mm-hmm. They talk about true crime and they talk about um the occult and aliens and different things like that and so i really love them oh okay i have got a really good one called you are good formerly called why are dads so it's um sarah marshall and alex steed and they talk about um they watch movies and they kind of they started it as a framing it through their like talking through their relationships with like dads and the ways that movies kind of convey or you know tell tell stories and talk about these things that are a part of our like kind of culture and yeah they call it a feelings podcast about movies a feeling so they really just talk about like like life and yeah like relationships and mental health and all of these different things but they use it they do it through different movies that's so good and i yeah it's a really good one i really like it they're really cool what about music what comes up when you open like a streaming service like Spotify or Apple Music? So I, I, Kyle, I married a country boy, and so he grew up listening <laughs> to like outlaw country, like Willie Nelson, and then even guys like Alan Jackson and stuff like yeah, that. And so, yeah. and then like different kinds of like I don't know what you call it, like rock, like Credence Clearwater Revival, and guys like that. And so, um, oh yeah. Um, and there's been, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of people who are doing this stuff that are making country music, cowboy music, uh, you know, like <laughs> old school folk kind of stuff, bluegrass that I've been really into, like, nice, um, nice. Tyler Childers and Coulter Wall, Sarah Shook and the Disarmers is one of my favorites. Vincent Neil Emerson. 
uh, Kyle and I have been like obsessed with him. He's mm. well, he's going to be one of the greats in terms of like uh, songwriters. I think I love uh, I love Molly Tuttle and Billy Strings. They both play like bluegrass guitar. I think I think that's what category you put in. You know, they do like nice. flat picking. Oh yeah, so totally. good. And a Brandy Carlisle, she's kind of in that world too, a little bit. And her project that she has with um with a couple other women from the country world called The High Women, that album from 2019. I listen to it all the time. Nice. Yeah. So good. Um what about Jason Isbell? Oh. oh yeah. I got more. <laughs> Jason Isbell and um Yola, she's amazing. She's actually from England, but she writes like country music and it's so good. Oh nice. And then um there was somebody else I wanted to mention. They're quite the roster. I like it. And it, well, I got Spotify out now, so I can actually You're just see what scrolling. I've been yes, to. that's very good. Yeah. Oh, Margot Price. Mm, she's so good. What about um, like what shows are you currently in the middle of, or what are you currently watching? Yeah, I've been. I've kind of had like a dry spell with TV lately. Um, that's probably I've good if we're honest. Like, it's nice to take a break yeah. from TV. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've just been, I've used it up by watching other things. So watching like a lot of YouTube, <laughs> mm. but, um, I'm watching Bob's Burgers. Fantastic. Yes. Obviously. Hall of Famer show right there. Of course. Yes. Yeah, so good. Another good, like kind of comfort show is just like so good. So funny. Right. Thank you so much for being on the show, Piper. This has been an absolute blast for me. Yes. Some fun. I will have links to all your projects in the show notes, but would you tell my audience where people can connect with you and, you know, follow you, have a conversation with you? Yeah. So on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram, I'm, I have the same tag for each one, CBFPLR. You can find my podcast, Pastor's Kid, anywhere you listen to podcasts. My TikTok, I use it to, I kind of talk about different ideas about theology in the Bible and make jokes and talk about being ex-evangelical. Mm. I haven't um, dove into talking about uh, process theology because it's really hard to kind of articulate oh and I haven't figured out how to do in it. TikTok in TikTok format, so yeah, I imagine that's, even with three yeah. minutes, there's only so much you can say in three minutes. Yeah, wow. exactly. Wow. Unchurch, unchurch, um... I don't know how you, how do you find things on Discord? That's a great question. Honestly, I think the best way to say it would be like either check out your link tree or uh just the link I put in the show notes for Unchurch. I will I'll put a Yeah, there you go. a link for that. Yes. And that is a space for people who grew up in conservative religious spaces who are going through the process of whatever you want to call it, deconstruction, being an ex-evangelical, whatever it is. It's a space for us to kind of connect on that and to tell our stories and to be silly. We have a meme page called The Back Pew where you can share yes. your memes. And Oh my gosh, um, calling it The Back Pew is, of course, the right name for it. Yes. That is so clever. I love it. Credit to Josh on my page. He, uh, that was his idea. Heck yes. Are there any questions, Piper, that you wished I would have asked you during the interview that you still want to answer? You never asked me about my cat. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> right before we close, will you tell me about your pet? Yes. Yeah, so I have a cat. Her name is Rosie. She's a little gray tabby. She was a barn cat. My grandmother-in-law had some barn cats that had kittens, mm. and 
She was the only one with a tail. All the rest of them were bobtails. And oh, wow. So my husband's like, I want the one with the tail. <laughs> and, <laughs> of course. Um, we brought her home because um, she was, you know, still with her mom and everything. But then she decided to climb into the engine of a car to hide. Oh. And we were like, okay, <laughs> we're going to take her home. Yeah. And so her name is Rosie. She's um, named after the eco-theologian, feminist process theologian named Rosemary Radford Ruther, who is very rad. Whoa. You look her up and read some of her stuff. Um, With a name like that, I feel like it deserves it. Yes. Yeah, she's cool. <laughs> so yeah, Rosie, she's fiercely independent. She um, doesn't like to be told what to do, as any cat would. Mm -hmm. um, she's not super cuddly, but when she is, it's like amazing. And right. she loves to play. It's like a she sacred likes to moment hide. when cats get really cuddly. Yeah, exactly. It's like cats are cats are either like obsessively cuddly when it's annoying or they're like very like standoffish. They cuddle very sparingly. Yeah, standoffish. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's Rosie's style, but Nice. We love her. Oh, so She's good. Sassy. So she likes good. to sit outside. In our old place we had a, a front porch that was screened in and so she would sit out there most of the day and watch the squirrels and things like that. So Classic yeah. cat. Classic Rosie. Yeah. Love it. Mm -hmm. Once again, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a delight for me. So much fun. Awesome. I'm glad you're um, you're going to join the process party. Everyone's invited. To close us out, will you read our favorite quote for the podcast? The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Thank you for joining us. You can follow the Hennings on Instagram and Twitter at Stephen G. Henning and at Dixie Lee Henning. Our theme music is composed and performed by Stephen and Dixie Henning and was recorded, mixed, and mastered by Austin Smith. Our artwork is designed by Dixie Lee Henning. Find more of her work at DixieLeeDraws.com, at DixieLeeDraws on both Instagram and TikTok, and at DrawsDixie on Twitter. Stephen, what do you think Ravel is about? I think Ravel is a podcast about how to effectively market our cult. No, no, no. Ravel is a show that shares the basics on how to get into the afterlife in three easy steps. Okay, okay, cut it out, you guys. Ravel is really about why SpongeBob SquarePants is the best story for teaching atonement theories. But how will your belief in God's atonement change when we prove that aliens exist? I mean, it would probably cause an even greater number of spiritual emergencies in the church. Or maybe everyone is just going to conclude that aliens are demons because we can't explain them. If you are thinking about all of these questions too, come have a drink with us. Follow Ravel wherever you get your podcasts. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.